welcome welcome to know your roles back for another week we are in halloween week we are whatever that means to you what sucks is like halloween is on the weekend like the ghetto boys lyric and it can't be shit so (laughs) (laughs) yeah well halloween listen to my mind is playing tricks on me over and over and over yeah that's a great i have that that yeah that's a i love to listen to that anytime halloween is one of those holidays for me personally i used to love it a lot but becoming a bartender made me like very bitter and and if you are a bartender and you've worked enough halloweens it becomes more of like one of those nuisance type holidays and and it's something where like a lot of people are having a lot of fun and that's great but Usually you're not <laughs> because even if you're not dealing with stupid drunk douchebags, it's probably dead. You know what I mean? Because yeah. for some reason, this is the first one. And it seems like forever that it fell on a Saturday. And I'm just like, I could actually do something because historically I've always had to work. Like I can actually do something on a Saturday and be hung over on the first, like every other asshole. Unfortunately, it's like, no. So it's fine. It'll be on a Sunday next year. And I won't participate in it because I'm like, you know, I'm over it now. I feel like I'm 14 years old. With Halloween, I remember 14 is probably like the age where trick-or-treating is you're almost a little too old. And you got like the pillowcase of candy and everybody else. And you're like, aren't you a little too old for this? It's like you're just going through the motions, going through people's houses. Like, just give me the fucking candy. So that's how I feel about Halloween now, being 42. (laughs) Maybe I'm just a little too old. Yeah. Maybe past me. That jives. And 14, I'd say, is probably about the right age. I'd say like myself into the 15, 16 years is where my my interests were like, not only do I not want to go out for trick-or-treating, but... I want to go out and throw eggs now. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I want to go out and get into some fucking shit up some time. trouble. Um, uh, you know, especially like 15, 16, as I, I got my driver's license and I was like the only one with a car and it was like a real shitty, terrible car and we could just like throw eggs and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, not get in trouble for it. But, is, uh, I didn't do that in high school. I actually did that in, in college and I was arrested. So like, <laughs> I only have to run. Yeah. Like, like, it's great up until you're 14, like 15. Oh, yeah. I don't want to do anything. And then, like, well, 17, you're like, oh, I can go out and party. And, like, girls are wearing, like, next to nothing. And all of a sudden, girls got, like, what? I don't know. And it's one thing for me as a white kid to do it. And, like, I got stopped by the cops once. And they were like, just go home. You know what I mean? Like, they <laughs> they were they were like, you you shouldn't be out right now. Go in your na- go in your own neighborhood or some shit. And I was like, okay. Uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, so, so there, that, there's that, uh, it has, it has the run is epic and it kind of tails off and you get old enough to drink and to go out. Shout out to my favorite Halloween costume of all time. 2005, these two, uh, these two young ladies dressed up as George Michael and Andrew Ridgely from Wham, which is my favorite Halloween costume of all time. They had, they had on the roll jean shorts and the choose life. And one of the girls had her hair frosted. It was unbelievable. So shout out to them. The, whoever they are, that is the greatest Halloween costume I've ever seen. That's solid. Wham. And the other girl, <laughs> Andrew Risley. That yeah, that's, that's pretty solid. <laughs> forgot member well, of Wham. Who knew? In uh, honor of the holiday and just all things horror, we are doing a special Halloween horror episode of Know Your Rules this week. We're having our special guest, Hoff Matthews of Hoff's Horror Fest, which George writes and produces for. I do, yeah. They were nice enough to have me on because I guess they like my silly jokes. So it's uh, it was very, very fun. And, and uh, audience, uh, tune in. You get to hear me do my radio voice. <laughs> uh, that's right, baby. So uh, one of the segments I play a radio DJ in the 60s. Very fun and uh, worthwhile. I, I, I will uh, I'll back that up. But I think the conversation with Hoff is going to be a lot of fun, and we're playing a little game. We're going to be doing another draft where we 
are going to be drafting a horror film, essentially. We're each taking turns in a fantasy-style snake draft and building our, our own horror film by different categories, such as setting and hero and villain and all that sort of good stuff. So that is coming up for y'all. First, I will say uh, we'll do some bar talk. And George, what's on your bar? So I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about Game 6 that was last night. So when this airs, is going to be probably the next day. But I'm going to talk a little bit about Game 6. And whether or not we're going to talk analytics, or we're going to talk about the eyeball test. People will get on me about being like a stat nerd, which I am. I listen to a lot of stat podcasts, a lot of stat websites. And, uh, and I, I do love the numbers. But unfortunately, the numbers can bite you in the ass. Sometimes it's, you got you to have a little bit of both. And as much as I love the fact that Tampa Bay with their payroll of $4, which I think is how much they pay all their ball players. That sounds completely accurate to me. <laughs> like, have you ever heard of G-Man Choi before yeah, this week? Like, Or I can't even – yeah. Honestly, I think their payroll is one of the lowest in the small market. And David Lau? Low? Yeah. I don't even know how to – like. It's Lau. I thought, I've been saying low the whole time. It's like it's Lau. And I'm like, yeah, it's Lau. Yeah, like, like he's a character from a different movie. But like sometimes I'm not going to say I'm not going to play Monday morning quarterback or whatever. But um, sometimes the eyeballs is what you should have used instead of the numbers, which kind of bitch in the ass. The one thing that is gets lost in the whole thing, and, uh, and this is how I'm going to end my bar talk, is like even if they let them in or even if they hadn't let them in, they still needed to score more than one run because I don't think one run would have done it anyway. That's the thing that's that gets lost in translation, and a lot of people are like, probably should have left them in long. And I hear this from like all these people, all these stat nerds, and all these uh, the eyeball people who are saying this, like he should have been there longer. At the end of the day, they had to score more than one run, so they lost. And they shout out to Tampa Bay and small markets. They didn't get it done, but having one run was not going to get it done with those all those bats in, in LA. And the whole thing about like when you when a batter sees a pitcher the third time around, it usually it works out better. It doesn't matter. They still need to score more than one run, and they weren't going to win that game with one run. So what a great baseball game in a great series. So it's it's going to be interesting when they start up again. Um, uh, they're one of the few sports that actually ended the, the time that they would have ended anyway. So hopefully like it'll be back to normal in uh, the next season. But again, what a great game. And that's in my bar talk. I, I, I definitely had to say a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Congratulations to uh, the Dodgers who uh, they got it done. That's – so, like, uh, strike them off the list of uh, franchises that are pissed off that they haven't won anything. So, I guess it's now Cleveland and the Mets and the Braves. And maybe Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. So like, yeah, Seattle, definitely. And, the, yeah. yeah, there's probably, you yeah. know, there's some, yeah, there, there's some teams in there. Like, Cincinnati is, that's one since 1990, right? Um, which is a long time at this point, even though it seems like yesterday to people in their late 30s, early 40s. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're you're pretty spot on. Like as far I think I think it's a mix of both, right? Is like, you know, the analytics and the numbers. Well, they've changed our minds on a lot of things because you know if you read like Bill James or Moneyball and stuff like that, it's like they just didn't ever know to look at these things. You know what I mean? It's like we never kept stats on half of this stuff, like mm -hmm. launch angle or arm sure. angle or exit Absolutely. velocity and shit like that. And there's a lot of value in that because it changes the way that you think about the the approach to the game and the approach to scouting and, and all that. And I think there's a lot in there. And I think that, yeah, it's like 
oh, there's new ways to measure. So that's cool. But at the same time, the numbers don't ever tell the whole story, you know, and, and there is more on the line and you have to battle that stuff that we kind of talk about all the time, which is that old school bullshit of like, I'm picturing that fucking 75 year old white haired fucking glasses wearing baseball manager chewing, you know, a huge dip and spitting disgusting shit saying something like, I know when my, cause it's in my gut, you know, <laughs> or, or, uh, shit like that of like, of or just like, I know with my, eye, like, I know what a ball player is, you know, and I, I know what baseball is. And it's like, well, that's not right either. Right. It's like, there is, is somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm going to talk about them just like a little bit more at the end of my bar talk. Sure. Yeah. yeah. There's just one thing I want to say, like if, if he was not going to be, if he's going to get taken out of that inning, he probably shouldn't have started it. It's like, and I think there's like, that would have made, that probably would have been like, okay, he's oh. not going to come back out. It was like, if he's like, but the moment he started it, they should allow, at least allow him to finish. Just to finish that note about the Snell situation is I agree. They definitely would have needed more than one run. So like, you know, and, and with anything, it's like, you can't really, you can't go back. You, who knows? But, but me, like if I was a Tampa Bay fan or if I was the manager, like I'd have kept him in, I would have kept him in. He was, you know, I think the, the tenant tenants, I think that's one of those places where, where the analytics sometimes hurt you with these pitching matchup stuff is like, you can like the Rays have, have proven how it works really well because they've built their, you know, and they're not the only ones, but they built their pitching staff around, you know, they have good starters, but they want guys in the sixth, seventh and eighth innings and then, mm-hmm. you know, closer or whatever, but the, every team has a closer, but they, they have so many amazing arms and they can really play who's looks good that day or what the matchup is or what, but I think you can get in your own way with some of that stuff from time to time and case it, and I would argue that game six was, was one of those cases where like you got your whole, your main, your horse out there, you got your guy, your Cy Young award winner mm-hmm. and your ace. And he was throwing a gem and you got to win. You got to win. So you have to make those immediate moves. And I, and like I said, you can't go back. Like I, I'm not like the guys are stupid. No, I won't ever do that. Like it is what it is. But me, I, I'm leaving him in there. I'm I'm definitely leaving him in there. He was he was at a pitch count of seventy five. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it was like yeah. yeah. So it wasn't that wasn't even a consideration as yeah. far as like tired or whatever. So it it, it was. I think that the the only pushback that I have, and I, again, I, I'm a slave to this to, to stat the stat people. Like uh, if he's not going to finish that inning, then he shouldn't have come out at all. He gave up the base hit, and then he comes out. He shouldn't have come out at all. Yeah. So that's just kind of where I'm at with it. It's kind of like the Milwaukee Bucks when Giannis doesn't play like a fourth quarter because they're used to blowing people out. But when he's needed in the fourth quarter, it's almost kind of lost. It's like it's kind of weird. So you, yeah. you take the good with the bad. And like, I guess it was like I read somewhere this morning that he hadn't pitched past the sixth innings of 2019. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. It's another reason why being a professional sports manager is, uh, you know, yeah. you can't, you're, if nobody notices your job, you're doing a great job, you know, but you won't get the credit, you'll, but you'll get the blame for sure. No, and, it, and, it's, and it's kind of a thankless job because managagers, oddly enough, yeah. look for like the, the the guy, they don't make a lot of money. So No, and oftentimes you see a guy, a manager get a team, you know, almost there 
And then there's this philosophy in sports. I mean, the White Sox just did it with Rick Renteria. The Cubs also did it with Rick Renteria, which really sucks for that guy. You got to feel for him. Two teams in the same city did the same thing to him over the span of five years, which was to get him to a certain point where they change the culture a little bit and get like this positivity and, and, uh, you know, a focus on youth development and, and these young guys. And then they're, they're like, okay, these young guys are starting to blossom and let's get a manager with championship experience and someone yeah, who can come in or championship quality. And, you know, Cubs are Joe Madden, the White Sox, we don't know who yeah. they are going to sign yet, but it's a shitty, the Rick Renterias of the world get fucked. So yeah. anyway, yeah. it was a great series. Uh, so what's in your bar? All right. So my bar, this is going to be the last time we do a show before the election. So I just wanted to talk about it for one second. Uh, we voted the other day, myself and Hillary, my partner, George, I believe you said you were voting in the next day or so. Uh, if the weather holds up. And like, what I'm going to do is like, I'm hoping to get there at like, my my center opens at 10. I'm going to try to get there at eight. That way of like, if I'm going to be waiting in line, I'm going to waiting in line to, to get in when it opens. As yeah. Whatever. That's a good idea. I say definitely be prepared. You know, we talked about making a plan last week. Definitely be prepared. Uh, what we did is we had absentee ballots and we actually took our absentee ballots to our early voting center. And if you do that, you actually don't have to wait. We were prepared to wait because we weren't, you know, 100% certain how it was going to go. So we did block out some hours just in case. But if you have your absentee ballot and, you know, right now we're getting to the point where it's kind of late to mail it in, especially because the fucking Republicans are trying to fight like when those can be count, when those ballots can be counted. And, you know, especially with the Supreme Court, they're going to probably win some of those battles. So, so yeah, whenever you can vote, I didn't say last week, but, you know, working families party line is something that everybody needs to be looking into. It makes a big difference. You know, we are voting Joe Biden, but we're voting on the working families line and that, that makes a difference, like I said. And, you know, the last thing I will say about that is let's do this. Let's fucking depose this goddamn orange fascist in D.C. and let's build a better country. And, and yeah, let's do whatever we have to do to make that happen over the next week or so. And just everybody keep, you know, I, I would, my only, you know, words of like encouragement or whatever to say, and for myself as well, is let's not expect, we shouldn't expect results on election night. This is going to be a process and we should all stay involved in that. You know, when I say stay involved, I mean keeping abreast of what's going on, but I also mean keeping the organizations where you can give money to that are fighting this causes and the emails that we can send and the calls that we can make because it's something we're going to need to do our due diligence on because, you know, they're trying, most elections in American history, you can make a very good case for them being stolen or, or rigged legally or 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 illegally i mean it's a language it's a language thing of like what you want to call it but voter suppression is rigging and that's been going on for a very long time in many forms but anyway so like i said just keep on with that and let's see this fucking thing through and let's get this motherfucker out and then let's let's work towards the country that we want so yeah okay that's all i gotta say about that the last thing i want to say for bar talk is i just want to talk about the world series also just a little bit i know you talked about it but just just a little bit we'll we'll, uh talk about with you is first i want to say 60 game weird bubble playoff season nonsense weirdness i think i know what you're going to say to this but the dodgers championship legit asterix what is it 60 game season does that even get mentioned or does it not do we not even need to worry about it no i think i think that the bubble 
was probably harder than coming back from like the, the Braves when they won in the 95, which people say is an asterisk, which kind of stick for Braves fans. Sorry, Atlanta, as much as I love your city, but I don't think they get, I don't think they get the asterisk. I think they, uh, the fact that they, I think it was hard enough to be able to play these games anyway through the, this pandemic and players getting, uh, were testing positive for COVID and then being able to figure that situation out and then be able to keep going. I think, I think this is probably one of the harder ones to have won it. So, yeah. It was kind of neat to see that that, that happened because to them it, it won't be an asterisk. So in a way, as a fan of baseball and as a fan of some of the players, it's like, I'm not going to give them an asterisk either. So I'm going to go with no. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally legit. Like if you get there and you win, I mean, they had a full length playoff series, right? So like if you get there and you win, you win, you won, you won, you're the champion. So, and it's good for them. They've really been a team that their championship are bust. And as much as like people like ourselves who like small market teams, and it would have been awesome to see the Rays win. And I definitely wasn't rooting against them. It's good for the Dodgers that they, they were able to, to do it. And, and like, it's yeah, no, no asterisks. I mean, they won. They're the champs. 2020 champions. Yeah. Um, but along those same lines is, I'll ask you again, can we get rid of this, like, Clayton Kershaw isn't good in the playoffs nonsense anymore? I know he wasn't ace level this uh, this postseason. He's certainly not 25-year-old Clayton Kershaw. He's certainly not going to win you the championship on his back. But this guy's a Hall of fucking Famer, right? And also, he's got two World Series wins in a in a ring in a ring season. Like, so... We never have to say this shit about his bad playoff record at the beginning, right? He he I sent you a stat, he like he leaves the majors, not just the National League or the National League in the past twenty years or, or whatever in the past thirty years. He like he leaves the majors and strikeouts in the playoffs of all time. That includes a lot of fucking dope motherfuckers. So so shout out to Clayton Kershaw for I don't know if the how big a monkey on the back. I think we are we as a society as sports people we kind of get tied into like it's like how many chips do you have and that granted that is definitely a thing. But I mean some of the basketball players who have a lot of chips I'm just like oh yeah that oh yeah that dude does have four rings. Like John Sally who I love has got four rings. <laughs> yeah, well and. And two of those were like him. If if you know me and you heard me talk about the the Knicks last week and stuff, you can imagine my eye roll just now was like almost audible. <laughs> uh, because yeah, you're right, and and I certainly and we both have like we 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 I mean we all do we use chips at or you know championships as a as a measurement, and, and it's not fair in a lot of respects. And and to your point, like John Sally has four championships, so are you putting him in the same class as LeBron James? absolutely yeah, not yeah. absolutely not and honestly i'm putting robert ory and other guys ahead of john sally because they were actually contributors but but let me just make sure that, that it's four i know like three off the top of my head he definitely i think he got one with the i think he was he had one with the bulls or maybe he was he because he was with us as like the 15th man he never played we're time nba champion so 98 89 90 was like of course but 96 2000 come on what are we talking about here <laughs> yeah he was playing two minutes a game yeah i mean yeah he's, don't give me why i love you john sally you're amazing and fucking bad boys oh uh, well and john sally is always one of my favorites because he is not a liar <laughs> like he's yeah, yeah. he sell trade up tells it and he, he knows when he's full of shit and like calls himself he's funny like i i'm i'm john sally fan and he played for the bulls afterwards too like uh you know and like i said he, he, he was like a five minute you know, towel, towel waiver. Hey man, this is you doing this. I've always yeah. never been like a fan of the bench guys 
or the dudes that like lock arms. That just drives me crazy. But, but <laughs> hey, man, it's like you're still on the team, dog. Well, it's there's like, one or two of them that they tend to have an impact. Like they talked about it in the last dance, but like we were aware of it as Chicago fans too. Is Jack Haley? Jack Haley. They would bring him back, like he would come. He was with the Bulls in the night in the early '90s, and then they let him go, and then he, he would never play. But he was the biggest towel waver you'd ever seen. He was the biggest cheerleader, and also they talked what they talked about in the last sentence. He was like Dennis Rodman's handler, like yeah. essentially, like he was his buddy, and he would like look out for him and be like, "Hey, Dennis, I this is a line that you probably don't want to cross," or like, "Hey, or hey, Dennis, just call me when this shit is over, and I'll come and pick you up," <laughs> or or whatever the fuck they did. But he was like, you know, I mean, and whatever, who like whatever you want to, whatever weight you want to give to that. But it, it's an interesting story that, nonetheless. And, and like that did factor into the team giving him a contract was that like they want to have Dennis surrounded by as much like positive influences. And like he had a good, they had a good relationship. Um, but yeah, those towel weaving guys, <laughs> something about them. But all right. So just to finish up our talk, to finish up this World Series talk. Let's, so we don't have to fucking talk about baseball for a while. Just the last thing, like it it was great and they like the, the the bubble seemed to be okay, even though, you know, we saw how fucking terrible they did of a job at first with all these cases coming and like canceling games and whatever. Did you happen to see the Justin Turner stuff? So Justin Turner was pulled from the game for testing positive for COVID during the game mm-hmm. and was pulled and then they win and they're celebrating on the field and who's out there front and center and all the pictures with no mask on justin turner i mean like i said congratulations to the dodgers it's awesome that they won uh that is fucking ridiculous and i really hope that there aren't serious consequences that come out of that but like if we're still you know Yo, COVID is still here, people, and 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 the winter is not. It, prepare yourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like because these sports league, like yeah, it's not <laughs> like that. Like I was enjoy, I was enjoying everything, and then that happened. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, like yeah, this man that. tested positive during the game. Yeah, shout out to Dave Passon for 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 saying that. The uh, one of the things that made it even crazier is when he came back. Like Twitter was losing his mind when he came back. The one of the he was out on the, on the field with Masters. That's one thing. One of the people who was like on the field masses next to it was Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts, a cancer survivor. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, like I'm gonna have a fucking aneurysm right yeah, now. Like, like I couldn't sleep last night. I was like, ah, <laughs> what is happening? What's happening, yeah, guys? Yeah, like man. One thing, Justin Turner looks a little bit like Mike Kripoin. I went to high school with, so shout out to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Justin Turner. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I like him, and I don't know anything, but like. Personally, my own implicit biases are against somebody who looks like Justin Turner. <laughs> a white dude with a huge orange long hair and beard who looks like a extra on Duck Dynasty. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's animal from... Uh... Yeah, I see guys like him and I'm like, ooh, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to cross the street. <laughs> 14 Mets, what were you thinking? They, did, they, did, they were like, nah, I think we're good. Um, uh, <laughs> that's funny. It was like, yeah, no, he was on the Mets in 2014. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not to the list of bullshit <laughs> alright well uh, I think that's good for bar talk we're gonna be moving into our our section here with Hoff we're gonna be talking to him doing our little interview first we're gonna talk about Hoff's 
horror fest and his relationship with horror and you know how he's changed the show with covid and and kind of what he is up to over there and what you as well george were again a producer and writer on the show what you guys have been working on and uh yeah some halloween uh some halloween stuff for you to enjoy hoff was a very lovely guy i think yeah it was a good time yeah we're gonna be fantasy snake drafting our own horror films from existing classics so uh yeah enjoy and uh here's uh here's hoff in that conversation I was telling Dave the there's a movie that I was gonna try to watch before we jumped on today. It's uh yeah, it's from Horror Hospital <laughs> from nineteen seventy-three. Horror Hospital. I might check that out a little bit later. Hoff again, thank you for for coming on and uh doing the show, taking time out of your busy schedule. This is our, our show, Know Your Roles, and again, we are super excited about having you on. We've been starting off all our guests and talking about quarantine life and Granted, I know you, but you are new to our audience. So tell us about what you've been doing life during quarantine and what's going on in your life right now. Yeah, um, I, I'm lucky because my job is basically like writing and editing videos. So I can pretty much do it from home. So I've been uh, continuing to do that. Uh, I am in the process of trying to move right now, uh, or I was, and then the place I was going to move to uh had like a gas leak or something so that's they have to do repairs and that's delayed so that's obviously uh, a whole nightmare um but but generally speaking uh, i think i've been doing all right can you tell us a little bit about Hoff's horror and how that started yeah so the show that uh i've been doing since the spring and summer with george and uh a bunch of other people andrea lupalui and uh, mary best pritchett are our co-producers is called hoff's public domain horror fest and it's basically like a live stream show where we screen public domain horror movies and break them up with the comedy host segments. So it's sort of like a cross between Mystery Science Theater 3000 and The Tonight Show, if that sounds about right to you, George. I think so. I used to do a like like physical screenings in Brooklyn. I would do this show at a place called Cantina Royal in the back room. We would show a movie and do bits and such. And obviously we couldn't do that anymore uh, during the pandemic. So this is sort of how we adapt it. Have you found that transition to be like, okay, are there things that you've actually found? Maybe I can, I can do this better or, or things that you really miss from be having a live audience. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think what you miss is really the live reactions in the room, which is a particularly fun thing with just the movies, like not even with the reactions to what we're doing, but just seeing people enjoy the movie in a communal way is really fun, obviously. But I mean, I have really liked doing the show in this format also. There sort of is like stuff you can do on a live stream show that you couldn't really do um, physically live. And we can also have this stream chat going during the movie, which is so it's like everyone can talk over the movie, but without being uh, disruptive, which is kind of a cool feature. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, it hasn't been too bad. It's been a real learning curve with figuring out like how to get the video feed to not stutter all the time and that sort of thing, which I think I have gotten a pretty good handle on now, but uh, it took some time. Those technical problems are going to be plaguing all of us in everything we do for the next, you know, year or so. So yes. I yes. think we should all just, we brush them off and so, like, we're all going to figure this everything out and it's going to be 2022 <laughs> and we're back to normal. They're like, God yeah. damn it. I just, I just got there. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe we'll realize we don't really need to be in physical spaces. Most of the time we could just be like separate in 
you know. <laughs> but but anyway, can you talk about, you know, when you say public domain, that's you're talking about things that you won't get sued for, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> by using, uh, to put it one way. But how do you go about, to me, that would make your list seems to be much shorter, right? Or, or what yeah. kind of stuff generally falls in that category? Well, it definitely is a limited pool of movies that you can draw from. There are a lot of Roger Corman movies have fallen into the public domain from the 50s and 60s. I guess, he, I don't know, he's made a ton of movies. So I don't know, he just lost track of a lot of them, I guess, and just wasn't paying <laughs> attention and didn't renew the copyright or whatever. And then, you know, there's other sort of like independent horror movies from the 60s, like Carnival of Souls and Night of the Living Dead fell through the cracks uh, one way or another. Some, I mean, there's some silent era stuff, but we just did Phantom of the Opera from 1925, which uh, we did this whole thing where we like dubbed all of the dialogue and cut out the intertitle cards, uh, which was uh, <laughs> even more work than the show usually is, which is already a lot of work, <laughs> but it was fun to do. And there's just some other odd examples like The Devil Bat from 1940. Once you get up to like the 70s and past that, you sort of run out of selections to draw from. So it's mainly like the 50s and 60s. I mean, you kind of just said this, but it's mostly like weird oddball niche stuff, right? Mostly, but I mean, there are some like bona fide classics in there. I mean, Night of the Living Dead is like the most famous example where they just forgot to put the copyright notice on uh, when they retitled it. So it's just, you know, out there uh, for everyone, even though it's one of the best horror movies ever made, if not uh, arguably the best one. That it so. seems crazy to me that that movie is in the public domain. Yeah. Yeah. That's other than that's when we're screening tomorrow. The uh, one of the things that sort of struck me because I hadn't seen it in forever is like, uh, do you think how much social commentary do you think he was going for when he made that movie? It's yeah, it's an interesting question. I. I I think it's definitely intended to be there and people take it as, I think, you know, a commentary on the Vietnam War and people take it as a commentary on race relations because you have this sort of, you know, heroic black character who's like squaring off against this kind of cowardly uh, older white guy. And what a lot of people bring up is like, well, you know, people take it that way. But the filmmakers have said they didn't cast uh, Dwayne Jones, the, uh, the, the black star of the film. Uh, to make a statement about race, they just felt that he was the best actor for the role, which, and, you know, I, I think that's borne out when you uh, watch the film. But at the same time, just the fact that you're willing to do that and not say, well, he's good, but people are going to, it's going to be weird if it's a black guy or whatever, is sort of a statement uh, in and of itself. And obviously, George Romero has made all these movies subsequently, which have very uh, overt social commentary to them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I definitely think it was an intentional thing. There's certain parts of the film, not to, I don't want to spoil anything, but. There are certain parts which I think uh, really resonate now, maybe more than they were sort of intended to in the film's own time. But uh, I think that's definitely an intentional element of it. You know, the intentions of artists is always a tricky thing. And a lot of artists and filmmakers don't ever want to talk about that kind of stuff anyway. And I think that's, you know, I, I would, knowing what we know about George Romero now, about the quality of filmmaker that he is, like, I don't think there's any way that they didn't have those conversations, right? Honestly, Night of the Living Dead, like you said, you could certainly make a case for it being one of the best, if not the best horror film ever, because it's what I love so much about horror and about a lot of genre films is you can do so much with so little, which like, mm -hmm. honestly, in the Night of the Living Dead, it's all about that last shot, the last scene and like you know we won't get into specifics right now even though it's you know an old old movie uh but it's just because in horror you can do this thing where like for an hour and a half all this stuff happens and it builds and then like you can take something 
from maybe the real world or something else at the very end to just flip it on its head to be like, oh, none of that really mattered in this new context. And I think Night of the Living Dead, like I said, that last shot to me, like I remember seeing that, I think in film school, maybe when I was like 19 for the first time, being into it the whole time. But like maybe some of that stuff was over my head. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as it ended, I was like, oh my God, this is this incredible. You yeah. know, and that's like why what we like about horror, right? Is that you can you could do that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, you know, there's a liberation to working in a disreputable field that you can sort of do whatever you want to do without worrying about like are people going to think that this is uh, in bad taste or whatever. People always want to put any kind of genre things in a certain category as far as quality goes, right? And like so we're even surprised when something like Get Out or a Hereditary or, or these horror films now that are well-made films and they have substance and you know the general public is surprised when they take off and they're like I can't believe millions of people went to see this brutal brutal movie and it's like well people love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I joined on and again thank you for just uh, a lot I made it to be a part of you guys' uh, squad there. I've, uh, I've had a ton of fun working on it. I guess because I wasn't a part of the live show, exactly how did it start in the beginning? And how did you go from just like an idea and then a live show? And then, of course, because of COVID. But take me through the beginnings of Osorba. Awesome. And you were, you were you're a stand-up, correct? Yes. Well, I was. I mean. <laughs> so how did that. Am so, I? I don't know. But I, so, I, yes. So if you can build into that answer, like, is this something that came from a stand-up bid or, or something like that? Yeah. Uh, the show has changed a lot over time. Uh, it's, I started it originally in 2014 when I was, uh, you know, doing a lot of stand up, and I just had this idea to do a one-off Halloween show because I used to like have, you know, when I was a kid, like horror movie parties at my house, just have have friends over and uh, watch uh, scary flicks or whatever. So I figured, oh, let's do a show where we show a horror movie and we'll have stand up as like the opening act. So I did a uh, set and I had uh, Ben Kissel on to do like a guest performance, and then we showed uh, this movie, Demons, Italian movie. And it was like a lot of fun. We had like decent turnout. And so I felt like, all right, well, let's, you know, do this as a continuing thing. So I did it as a monthly show in that format for a year or two uh, about that. And that was very simple. It was just like me, a guest stand up and then the movie uninterrupted. And then I stopped doing it for a while. And then in, uh, I think, 2018, I decided to bring it back in sort of the f closer to the format it has now where it had, we have these act breaks and I have like co-producers and we're doing sketches and, you know, videos sometimes. And it's more of a variety show because I was interested in working in that format more as opposed to stand up, And also because I felt like horror was kind of having this resurgence and there was a bit of a resurgence of the horror host idea with uh, Joe Bob Briggs doing streams on shutter uh, and all that. So I sort of felt like, if I don't do this, some other comedian will, and then I'll feel silly. So uh, I wanted to get my foot in the door there. Is that something you had like a particular affinity for as a kid? Like those kind of, uh, you know, I don't know what to call them, but like serialized, like a variety type horror shows on public Not access? Really, no, I mean, I, I can't say I ever really watched horror host shows growing up. I watched a lot of horror movies, but... It's such a weird format because there was this stretch of like a few decades where it really made sense in a utilitarian way because these networks had all these like cheap movies that they needed to fill up their programming, but they wanted to make it seem like it was original content somehow. So you'd have, you know, the weatherman put on a Dracula cape or whatever. And now it's like, oh, it's this special thing that this sure. guy is introducing. <laughs> yeah. And so I think there was a lot of sort of cultural goodwill built up for it. But it's been like decades 
since there was really a demand for it. So there's all these people. I mean, we do this thing on the show called the horror host highlight reel, where I show clips of all these other horror hosts uh, hosting the movie that we're showing. And there's all these people on YouTube, you know, from within like the last 10, 20 years uh, who are just doing their own internet horror host show that I mostly, you know, I had never heard of these people before I started looking them up, but I mean, they're doing basically the same thing uh, that we're doing. And I guess it's, it, the pandemic is like the thing that set these conditions where I feel like it sort of makes sense again. Um, because, you know, we have this need to scavenge uh, existing media because we can't like really go out and, and film more of it ourselves. Yes. And we have to package it in a way that it still seems fresh. Well, yes. And there's so much content, right? Like yeah. that the ways to package it are changing and, and all these new outlets and plate space for things. And, you know, so I, it doesn't surprise me that there would be a, uh, you know, an interest in, in that kind of stuff. Cause it's certainly those, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I, like you were saying, they, they were kind of not around for a long time. So I, I didn't have them that much in, in my childhood really, but I, you know, the bits and pieces that you see, they are like a very well-defined, like funky campy thing. Yeah. Right. It's like everybody knows about Elvira. You know, everybody's exactly. seen Gremlins 2 with like yeah. the, the guy in that. So they're this sort of recognizable archetype, even though I don't think you encounter them in the wild that much anymore. Yeah. Hoff, what do you think is, let's say, if we had aliens come from outer space and like, uh, <laughs> they want to know about horrors, what do you think is some of the jumping off points of some of the best horror movies that you've seen and that you like? Well, I mean, I think I'd give a lot of the obvious questions, you know, John Car answers, I should say. Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween is a, a very pure example of a great horror movie. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, it's, it holds up, right? It really does. It's kind of <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. You know, Alien, Night of the Living Dead. I, I mean, I love Dawn of the Dead, but then after Night, they sort of become more like kind of sci-fi action movies to me. So, I mean, th those are the first things off the top of my head, yeah, that I would use as like, you know, horror 101. For me, I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw a couple other. I think you may have said Texas Chainsaw. I think I may have cut you off. I think that that was like the movie that I would have friends over. It became like a secret thing. Mm -hmm. Hey, I've got Texas Chainsaw Massacre at my house or in my dorm. <laughs> we can watch that right now. And then we just watch like droves of my friends going, what the fuck is wrong with George? <laughs> it's uh, a fucked up movie. Yeah, it really is. In fact, uh, that just like a sneak peek that I'm going to make a reference to that movie uh, a little bit later. We'll play our little game. For some reason, the 70s movies are the ones that kind of stick out in my mind. I think because they seem so gritty. Things like The Hills Have Eyes and like uh, Wicker Man, they just seem like they're almost kind of like this is weird and this is tricked out. What is happening and what's going on in this person's mind? Are you a fan of those movies or you're kind of like, nah, because some people are kind of not into them. Yeah, I, I am for sure. I think I don't tend to gravitate as much towards the really like brutal, like realistic style of horror. Because I don't know, I, I like the fantastical element of it personally, but but I respect it when it's done well. Yeah, I'm more into the villains than I am. I, I love the final girls. And I love like the last person that's left standing, but like, uh, I'm definitely more into the cerebral villains, especially like uh, I love Annie Wilkes. I think Annie Wilkes <laughs> from Misery is probably one of my favorite horror characters. It's not one of my favorite characters of all time. It just there's something about the way that actress uh, I forget her name delivered some of those lines. It's just like it's creepy. It's <laughs> like whoa, that's just that's just too much. Uh, and you're gonna hear me talk about her a, a good, great deal a little bit later. What are some of your favorite favorite horror villains? Well, I think uh, Michael Myers has got to be up there. I don't know. There's something about him that's just so like 
simple. It just works on a fundamental level. I used to have that sort of anxiety when I was a kid, when I was like taking out the trash at night, I could just like see him like walking around the corner of the garage towards me. I put that in a video that I made in high school. It was just sort of a, (laughs) I don't know, striking image in my head. Um, so that, that's the first one that comes to mind. The thing, I mean, that's another John Carpenter thing, but the special effects on that are just so disgusting and uh, repulsive that it, it's very impressive. Yeah, that dog scene with the... Just, yes. For some reason, my father is like a horror movie fan, and he his whole thing was, you can watch these movies with us, but the moment that you bitch and complain, you can't watch <laughs> So I still have a visceral effect as when I'm watching these movies now. I go back to being a child and not being able to say anything. Oh, my God. So when everything happened, like, and I'm going to talk about it a little later because I did like a deep dive with some of my favorite horror movies, and I was like, oh, I forgot this. I forgot I saw this too young, and now I'm like, almost <laughs> kind of like, Oh, no. (laughs) There's some that you go back and like you might have been terrified by, but if you watched it in your adulthood, you would just laugh, you know, like to me, Freddy Krueger always comes to mind. I was terrified of Freddy Krueger as like a 10 year old, but now, and I think it's partly intentional. Freddy Krueger is hysterical. (laughs) He's like a comedian character. Yeah. Robert England. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, that level of campiness, it's, it's, uh, it's a thing, but upon further examination or, you know, adulthood, it wears off. (laughs) I love the fact that that's still like a pretty sick Halloween costume. 20, 40 years, almost 40 years after the fact, striped shirt, fedora, Glove, you're like, oh yeah, that's Freddy Krueger. Like, we used to have, we used to have the mask. Me and my brother had it. We'd like pass it back and forth for different Halloweens, and we'd have like the hand with the mm-hmm. fake things, and yeah, the terrible red and whatever sweater. Great costume. <laughs> and it's a great costume because you don't. It's one of the few costumes where you can do it, and it can seem elaborate, but you don't need a mask. If you're not yeah, into the yeah. mask, if you want to have your face visible, you can just do the hat and the glove and the sweater, and it still works. That's true. And now we're all wearing, you know. Masks right. covering our nose and mouth anyway. So, exactly. Do you have any Halloween plans? You know, being a horror fan, is Halloween a, a holiday that is an important one to you? Or? It is to the extent that in the last several years, I've found it, I get kind of the holiday blues about it, you know, because I feel like I'm not doing enough and I'm not like appreciating it enough or whatever, or taking advantage of the season as much as I should. So, I try to take that pressure off of myself these days and just do what I can and uh, not worry about it too much. And yeah, I mean, I normally would you know try to do something on uh, halloween the day this year i i don't really have any particular plans i have friends who are doing like a zoom thing in the evening so i'll pop in for that i'll probably you know walk around and see if i see people with funky costumes in the neighborhood for a bit but uh, my main thing is the show and uh, yeah i mean I, as george was saying we've got our last show of the month on uh 29th night of the living dead at uh, at 9 p.m and that's going to be my uh my main like Halloween celebration, I think. Awesome. And your guys shows do them live, but they will be online afterwards. Yes. The recordings uh, stay up on the YouTube page. Is that something I know this is like is that you have a, is it seasonal or how many, when do you bring that back? <laughs> well, we, yeah, we were just discussing this. Uh, I don't, I, at the moment I'm thinking we're finishing it out uh, this month. Cause we've, it's, it is a lot of work to put this show together is the thing. And it's, I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. And I've been very proud of what we've done, but it's also like, I've been doing the online version since May and I, it's kind of been nonstop since then that at any given moment, I'm sort of like, what do I need to be doing for the horror fest show right now? Um, so I need to at least take a break. You know, we might bring it back in the winter. We might sort of make tweaks to it or and bring it back in a different form or something. But that's that's the plan for right now. And what we did was we did like 
nine shows in the spring and summer on a weekly basis. And then we took a couple months off and then we've been doing it in all uh, October. Awesome. Cool. Shout out to Hop. It's like, thank you for letting me be a classic rock DJ for a minute this hour. <laughs> I, I, I played Dave the recording. So first off, when I was doing it in my house, my cat was looking at me like there was something wrong with me. Because <laughs> I was like practicing it because like, it was like, it was so much sort of like things to say and I gave myself a headache. <laughs> <laughs> You were definitely doing a character. It was a very distinctive voice. It wasn't just regular George voice, which is distinctive yeah. enough uh, in its own right. So yeah, if people want to hear uh, this this DJ performance, that'll be on the show as well. Yeah, that that. So seriously, thank you for the, for allowing me to, to to get out my inner Wolfman Jack, as Dave said. I was like, Wolfman Jack going on. I was like, yeah, you're not messing with me. It's uh, it worked. It worked for me. So I'm, I'm excited to to see uh, your guys' show. On our show, Nerd Rolls, whenever we have a guest on, we always like try to play a little game. And for you being a horror fan, actually all of us being horror fans, we uh, I sent you an email about building our own horror movies. So we are yes. a sports, sports and pop culture podcast, but we're not going to talk about sports. We are going to have a sports element to this. We're going to do a draft. And for this, we're going to do a snake draft. So Hoff, you being our guest, you're going to draft first. Uh, Dave, you're going to go second. I'm going to go third. And it being a snake drop, I'm going to go again. So I'm going to go third and fourth. And then Dave's going to go fifth. And then you're going to go back again. So I sent you the whole thing about what we're drafting and how we're going to do this. And uh, I was working on this today, watching horror movies and watching some of the things that I enjoyed, some of the characters that I talked about. And my favorite thing that we're going to talk about right now, and that that's going to be the, the first round of our draft, and that's going to be a setting. So off. And your imaginary horror movie based on horror characters and horror villains and horror scenes and horror directors, where is the setting of your horror movie? All right. Yeah. So there's a lot of good choices for this. Uh, it's a tough call, but I think I'm going to go with the Overlook Hotel from oh, off the board. The hotel. <laughs> Tell us why. Because. The movie just makes it so fucking creepy. Like, I literally have had bad dreams every time I've watched The Shining. And it's once it's Jack Nicholson running around being crazy, I don't really care. But just, I don't know, just the camera gliding through the halls and just knowing that there are these, like, unbelievably horrifying ghosts, like, lurking around every corner in every room. It's just a, a terrifying environment. So... Yeah, I just I would never want to be there. So it seems like the right place to set. The yeah, even from the very first shot of the getting there yes. of the oh, the aerial God. shot. I mean, which is, you know, a fucking unbelievable opening shot. Uh, but it, it, it gives that whole aura of of it of like this is, you know, the journey to get there. I always feel like is part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good that's a great choice. All right, so is that that brings me up for brings, a setting. It brings it to you. So hotel is off the board. I like that choice. Go All ahead. right, so I like that you went with a specific one. I'm going to go with kind of a little bit more general, but but I'll give you one or two specific examples, which is I'm going to go with a house in the woods. Hmm. And when I say house in the woods, I, what I'm 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 really thinking about like what kind of horror movie I wanna I wanna construct, and kind of what you said earlier, Hoff, about what you like as far as the magic versus the real. And I'm kind of like in the middle. I I like some of the realistic ones that are kind of more in the mind of the characters and also of the audience. But I also like some of the magic ones. So I think that that house in the woods, I'm not talking about your Texas Chainsaw, you're disgusting, you see it from the side of the road and you're like, obviously that place is trouble. I'm talking about your middle class summer home type, like think like a funny games type, uh-huh. uh, you know, summer vacation home with some kind of water body of water on the property that's going to play in later but um 
some some kind of lake or body of water near the property. That that's where I'm going. Nice. So that's off the board. You guys chose some of the things that I was thinking about, but I'm going to go uh, completely another direction and uh, nursing home slash <laughs> asylum slash hospital somewhere in those three. Something about white walls and straight jackets and people running up against like padded walls. I think I find to be very freaky. And whenever it's mentioned in the movies, and it's been mentioned a lot in movies, a lot of horror movies, like this person escaped from the insane asylum or escaped mm-hmm. from like, an abandoned hospital or whatever. You start me off there and I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm into this because I got to find out what happened to this, this crazy person. So that is my number three pick. And since I'm the third person, I'm going to go with my next pick. And, and villain is in the next round. And since I started off with the nursing home with my number one draft pick, I got to go with a nurse. So give me Annie Wilkes from Misery. <laughs> Because just the way she delivers some of those lines, uh, again, I forget that actress. It's, it's Kathy Bates, right? Kathy Bates. The way Oscar winner and uh, White Station. Shout out to White Station High School in Memphis, Tennessee, baby. <laughs> Annie Wilkes, the hobbling scene in that, that just, come on, what are we talking about here? So Annie Wilkes is my villain in my horror movie that takes place in a hospital. Hey, that's you. All right. Villain for my horror movie that is out in a house in the a summer house in the woods somewhere. I actually watched most of this movie last night, and this is one of those ones that I don't really think the movie's very good. <laughs> one of those older ones, but I enjoy a lot of it, and the villains are the title characters, which is uh, the children of the corn. <laughs> and <laughs> um, my villains... <laughs> it's, I mean, shout out to Linda Hamilton, who Absolutely. fucking is acting like it's an Oscar caliber movie, but it's not a very good movie. Um, But uh, a cult of like nondescript Aryan looking white kids from a small town in Nebraska. Honestly, I couldn't imagine anything more terrifying than that. (laughs) So, so yeah, children of the corn. Those are, that's, those are my villains. That's a good one. Uh, and well, I guess if no one's taken him yet, I'm going to go with Michael Myers. And I, by the way, I was not thinking of this as trying to like construct a coherent film. I was just thinking, take the best thing in each category and we'll see what happens when we put him in a blender or whatever. I'm glad you guys are doing that. And I was debating on whether to do that, but my brain as a writer is like, well, that couldn't, that (laughs) couldn't go together. See, the reason why I was, I had, I have like a list of people like all right like what are y'all chosen hospitals like oh we're gonna we're gonna go somewhere else it's like my list of villains is epic and one of my villains is shout out to norman bates so <laughs> like i was gonna go wherever like wherever the road is gonna take me i was like all right i got hospitals, like i'm gonna go to nurse it's like but i had a couple of backup plans too yeah, just just like, just in sure, case that makes sense yeah like yeah. my draft my draft room is out of control so. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh where are we so uh i've just said michael myers and uh Hop, that means that you are up again. So who is your hero of your horror movie? Okay, so th- this is uh, a problematic choice for a whole variety of reasons. Um, but I am going to go with Tony the Pimp from the movie Demons. From <laughs> so this, are, you, are you guys familiar with Demons at no, all? I'll put that on the list to watch. No. Please tell us about it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great movie. It's this 80s Italian horror movie about people who 
get tickets to like some mysterious sneak preview screening at a movie theater and they go there and watch and it's like a movie about demons where the demons like come out of the screen and start attacking people and everyone's trapped in the theater and the people who get attacked turn into demons themselves so it becomes sort of like a zombie movie where everyone's under siege and like fighting the demons none of it makes sense the reason why anything is happening is never explained in the movie it's just all completely over the top uh, and really fun and there's this character in it Tony the pimp who is just this like really kind of stereotypical like pimp character who uh, uh, is there with like a couple I guess sex workers that he works with and who when the demons start attacking just takes charge and it's just and he also like I should mention it's it's dubbed because it's an Italian movie so he has this very like sort of like cartoonish Dragon Ball Z voice where he's like, that'll teach you not to touch things. And and so once the demons are attacking, he goes up to the projection room and finds the projectors that are showing the movie. He's like, we got to smash them. And he's like leading everyone in this fight against the demons. And so he's just, he's very sympathetic in a way and very charismatic. And uh, I mean, it's, this is a spoiler, but he's not a final girl or a final guy. He dies like, I don't know, two thirds of the way through the movie or whatever. And it's actually a moment where you're like, oh, I'm sad that this character is gone now. So again, all sorts of issues with the way this character is portrayed uh, in the film. But when I think of my favorite horror movie characters, that is like the first guy who comes to mind. And they actually brought back the actor uh, who played him, Bobby Rhodes, in the sequel, playing a different character, who is Matt. also fun, but not quite as much fun as uh, the first one. I'm interested. I'm going to watch I, Demons I'm tonight. The, <laughs> it's a blast. Yeah. All right, Dave, who's your hero? Because I'm going... I. I got a thing here. I, I'm I'm building a thing here. Uh, I am going with a little character named Adelaide Thomas. Oh, nice. And now that is George. I take it uh, from that reaction knows who this is. But I, but I'm gonna you know explain it a little bit, which is that is Lupita Nyong'o's character from Us. However, that is just her character as a child before she marries Winston Duke and becomes Adelaide Wilson. Um, so before she goes into the thing at the, uh, you know, on the pier. Fun in, in, yeah, in in the 80s. Um, so when she's a little kid, because what I want to do is I want this to be a movie where kids are battling kids. Um, are, it's all cho children fighting and killing each other. Uh, so my hero is going to be Lupita Nyong'o, Adelaide Thomas before she meets her like doppelganger and but uh Adelaide Thomas that's yeah that's my hero George so my hero like I, I struggle with this because there's so many heroes that, that I love do I go Sally Hardestry who's like who I love because I've already mentioned that do I go um Alan Ripley Alien is one of my favorite movies of all time and do I go Laurie Strode mm -hmm. but I'm gonna go off the board here and I, this is a little recency bias because I watched this for the first time in about 10 years the other day I'm gonna go with Sidney Prescott Something about the fact that Scream had a sense of humor about the genre. There's something that I enjoy. And she's like, I'm not going to be that girl when I go upstairs, but I should be running out the door. She knew she, she knew that she honestly, honestly knew that she was an horror movie. So Sydney Prescott, A plus work, and she does it at the end. So like, that's, that's my final girl. It's a wink and a nod to Scream, the Loomis to uh, Halloween and Loomis and, and Psycho, which I which I thoroughly enjoyed. They they knew what it was and like and they honestly brought the genre back. They did it in '95, was that right? I think so. Yeah. The fact that like the 1995, they were able to make a horror movie that made that much money and be successful and be funny and be legit scary. That first 12 minutes of that movie is unbelievable. That's like a a good mix of like the 
super, it's very campy yeah. and fun, but it's also, it's genuinely terrifying. It's genuinely terrifying. And yeah. the fact that they knew, because I guess if you, in 95, you and if you watch horror movies, you knew the tricks they do in horror movies. So shout out to Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven of Stream. So Sidney Prescott is my hero. Seeing that I'm next, because like uh, I have mentioned Texas Chainsaw and a couple times. So my movie is going to be directed by Toe Hooper. R.I.P. Toe Hooper, <laughs> 2017. Death. His movies are fucking terrifying. So Toe Hooper directed my movie with Sidney Prescott. So Dave, who's, who's your director? Awesome. Uh, not only is Texas Chainsaw Massacre one of my favorite horror films, I think it's one of the most terrifying. It's so yes. unbelievably terrifying. Die Hard if you're sitting at that table. Just I like, think I, I, you know, I... <laughs> Um, I was saying like I'm building mine in a cabin in the woods and it's like not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre but honestly like I'm never anywhere in a rural setting without thinking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> um, okay. like trying but, to get gas in a small town what the fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but because I want mine to be kind of a more understated kind of spooky cerebral movie with the children of the corn and Adelaide Thomas. My director is going to be Michael Haneke, the Austrian director who did funny games. He's not like specifically a horror director. He's done a lot of different kind of films, but funny games is definitely a horror film. And also a little bit about his background and his movie, the white ribbon, he would probably make the children of the corn like Hitler youth. And then we really wouldn't feel bad about them getting murdered in really gra- graphic ways. So that's where I'm going with that. But yeah, so Michael Haneke, my other thought was to make it like fun and off the wall would be maybe to have Sam Raimi do it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with, like I said, that, that uh, angle of, you know, like all those movies when I, I'd imagine we're all around the same age, all the movies, action movies that we grew up with, like, it was just make Nazis the the villain, you know. It's like it's like because we don't. It's it's fine. Like terrible things can happen to them. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So you're up. off. So I'm gonna go for director with uh, Mario Bava, the uh, Italian maestro, because uh, I just feel like he's somebody who Wes Craven is kind of like this too, but he reinvented the genre or his contribution to the genre so many times like he helped invent the giallo sort of murder mystery slasher format and then he uh, was a big innovator of having this really colorful bright cinematography and then uh, he also sort of helped get things like down and dirty and like grimy and kind of gory again later on so he was really versatile and uh, just had a really distinctive visual style and i would love to see you know the hallways of the overlook uh or, or michael myers or whatever bathe in like that weird pink or orange light that he might use is he like a dario argento predecessor? i've never heard of him this yes yeah uh, mario bava was sort of like the first great italian horror filmmaker and uh, argento kind of like followed in his footsteps they actually worked together on a film of argento's called uh, inferno bava liked help make miniature sets and stuff uh for that and awesome. Demons actually was directed, it was co-written by Argento or written by him and directed by Mario Bava's son, Lamberto Bava. So they are pretty uh, linked with each other. Awesome. Yeah, well, the way your description, it was sounded like he would have to be an influence for, for Argento. Um, for sure. Cool. What's, uh, Hoff is next, right? With- Hoff, this is, this is the, the, basically the last round. So one of the things I wanted you to have fun with is, is like, think of a horrific death scene from a, mm. a horror movie. And then we're going to put that horrific death scene in your horror. So what would be your horrific death scene 
that's from a horror movie that would be in your horror movie. Okay, so I guess the first thing that leaps to mind is uh, I, I'm big into Italian horror. I've seen a lot of that, so I, I realize it's coming up a lot. But there's another Italian horror movie called The Beyond, where one of the death scenes is a guy who is researching the cursed hotel that happens to be uh, located over a gateway to hell uh, gets somehow like magically paralyzed when he's in the library. So he's like struck onto the floor and then these tarantulas come out of nowhere and crawl over him and eat his face while he's alive. So (laughs) that I guess uh, let's throw that. I don't know how that connects to anything else I've brought up so far, but let's throw that in there. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. Just scared the shit out of Gladys. <laughs> she just left the room. Goddamn. Great, great death scene. <laughs> yes. All right, Dave, what do you got? All right. This is where the uh, the body of water in the setting plays in. I'm going to do one from a movie that is one of those, like, uh, I don't remember if it's the original. It, I'm talking about the original, of course. It's been remade a couple of times. I think it's late 70s, early 80s, but it's one of those ones that I've seen it once and I don't think I ever need to see it again, but it has some death scenes that I'll never forget ever and a lot of things that I'll never forget ever. And that's uh, I Spit on Your Grave, (laughs) uh, the original. And there is a death scene where the woman, the heroine, kills someone with a boat propeller. And she like chops. She first of all, she she toys with him. She circles around. She also she kills two people in the scene. One with an axe to the back in the middle of the water, which is kind of great because all the the it's really bad effects and like really shock red blood that's like taking over the whole water. It's ridiculous. But she like circles this guy and then she acts like she's gonna give him mercy and stops. And he does the smartest thing he could do, which is hold on to the boat's propeller. <laughs> and then she's like. Like, yeah, no mercy. And, uh, yeah, she she chops him to bits with a boat propeller. So I like the idea of one of the children of the corn mm-hmm. getting chopped to bits by, uh, by a boat propeller. So there you go. There's my death scene. Nice. So I guess I'm next. Now, I had, like, a bunch on the list. So I'm going to go over a bunch of lists, and then I'm going to go off the board again, because that's just how I draft. Tatum Riley's death scene in Scream is pretty cool. The uh, getting stuck in the, uh, the garage door and the garage door going up that's a very cool death scene i watched psycho last night and janet lee's death scene as many times as i've seen it and i've seen it a bunch i guess that was one of those movies that my dad probably showed me way way too early and even to this day i was still kind of like oh no just the way the music the shower curtain all of that is amazing but again i'm going off the board and i'm gonna go with again i talk about this movie a lot it is one of my favorite movies of all time there's a 36 by 24 poster of it and I'm going to go with John Hurt in Alien mm. when, the, when the chest buster scene. Uh, I found this, uh, this quote from Dan O'Bannon, who was one of the writers. He said that he wanted to scare the men in the audience by including imagery of forced oral rape, something born out of a man. Yikes. So, I mean, like, I, that's one of those movies I wish I'd been able to see in the theater with other people when it, when it, like, when it mm. first aired in 1978, because, or 1979. It was two years after Star Wars, and was we're all like excited about space and aliens. Yeah, this guy was like, "Nah, that's not how it goes down." <laughs> um, uh, so again, that is one of my favorite movies of all time. I watched it recently in the theater for an anniversary. Friend of mine got me a, got me that as, as, as a gift, and even to this day, when it jumps out of his stomach, holy shit! And the story is the cast didn't know how much blood was going to go. In fact, there's a director's cut on YouTube of just a scene of that that's like 20 seconds longer. And you can tell how different it is because it hasn't been color corrected. 
And Tom Skerritt looks into the camera and just goes, what the fuck? Which is, which is <laughs> unreal. So I'm going to fit that into my horror movie somehow with the Dust <laughs> Burster scene in my crazy hospital with Annie Wilkes and Sidney Prescott. Is it um, Annie Wilkes popping out of someone's chest? I, 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 hey, listen, why not? Why not? It's a, sure. that, that, that leads right into my title, which is uh, the, the nursing home on Highway 66. So... It's like with with Annie Wilkes and uh, Sidney Prescott. So that's, that's the title of my movie. Shut now, so up. that is not an existing title that you're taking. You made that up for this. I made that up. The okay. Nursing Home on Highway 66, directed by Tobe Hooper. So I'm thinking it takes place in like 1972. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's I'm gonna hit. It's like uh, <laughs> like troubled nurse Annie Wilkes, <laughs> Sidney Prescott, and an alien jumps out of one of their stomachs. So I would watch that fucking movie. I don't even. Yeah. Know. <laughs> So, Dave, what is the title of your movie? I'm in. All right. So mine, like I said, is like an Austrian director. You're going to be kind of basic and simple, but it could also go either way. And it's the Children of the Corn versus Adelaide Thomas. So it's going to be the children will deliver us. <laughs> <laughs> and and I also like the vaguely like biblical religious thing going on because that's an element that is in there. And myself, who is a heathen, I am uh, very willing to be like, yeah, religion is evil. <laughs> like, yeah, there's some really weird shit in that in in there. You know? um, so, yeah. And uh, the children of the corn, that that like cultish, weird weird thing so the children will deliver us that's nice hoff title yeah i mean i I like really like baroque uh horror movie titles i actually don't know if i'm using that word correctly but the stuff that's like really obviously horror like the house that drip blood or you know the curse of the mummy or whatever i just i feel like it just indicates that you're going for it i can't say house of anything because i already indicated it takes place in a hotel that seems like a a bridge too far uh so i'm gonna say behind the door of blood (laughs) i like that that is fantastic. I'd watch that too. <laughs> yeah. I would watch all three of these Good movies feature. or some combination of all, all three of them mashed together somehow. <laughs> yeah. You can't go to movies. It's like, that's, that, that's a drive-in movie to like triple feature right there. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd be all aboard. Poppy played the game tremendously and thank you for coming on. Give us a plug for something before we let you go. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and again, like so much fun. Thank you for having me on. Uh, and my only plug is uh, Hoff's Public Domain Horror Fest, Night of the Living Dead at 9pm on our YouTube page on the 29th. And it and all our other shows will be up there. If you missed the live stream, you can go back and uh, catch up on the YouTube page. And if you go to HoffsHorrorFest.com, that has links to everything. So it's a Facebook page, an Instagram page. If you look up Hoff's Horror Fest, you should be able to find it pretty easily. And I'm on Twitter. The show doesn't have a Twitter page, but... Uh, but I did. Well, thank you so much for being on. Like George said, it was a lot of fun. It was good to talk to you. You too, and uh, happy Halloween. Same to you, bud. Good to see you, man. Cool. That was great. That was great. That actually ended up better than I thought it would. I was writing down like that as if I was in a war room. I was like, all right, you took the... Uh, yeah, no, I was making little tweaks and stuff here and there. Yeah, that was super fun. Uh, he's a really nice guy, obviously really smart. I would honestly love to pick his brain more about Italian horror, something that I only know a small amount about, but uh, found really interesting. Definitely going to look up some of that stuff. The Germans and the Italians, for some reason, they they make sure to like, oh, we're going to we're gonna get a cerebral on your ass. Yeah, one, well, there's just the, especially with European, but all... You know, when we saw it with Parasite, too, I didn't even bring up, but one of my favorite horror movies is one of his other films called The Host, which you've seen, right? Um, which I love. But, like, there's a there's a different sensibility, right? Like, there's a different pacing, and it's, like, a different style. Even, like, Let the Right One In, 
which I didn't mention either, but is one of my favorites. I almost made my hero the girl from little from let the right one in but i don't know if that's it's like kind of cheating because she's a vampire and she could just kill murder everyone (laughs) um but yeah it's like it's this fantastical stuff but it's presented in kind of realistic type way but yeah that was cool fantasy draft a horror film what i'm looking for this weekend i'm gonna give the queen's gambit uh, a bit of a sniff this weekend it's a new netflix series i have no idea what it's about but it has a anya taylor joy who was in we were talking about horror. Let's talk about Anya Taylor-Joy. And she's in The Witch, which is one of my favorite horror movies in the past, like, 10 years. I just saw in the theater, shout out to that old couple who left. They were like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I that I love that movie. That movie was incredible, and she's incredible in it. And also thought in the theaters. Yeah, it was like, she, she's starring uh, Bill Camp, uh, a character actor who I thoroughly enjoy. Is in, in The Night Of, which is a very under HBO miniseries from a few years ago. Um, uh, so I'm gonna give her the Queen's Gambit and also shout out to one of the other characters on the show who is, is my friend's older sister, filmmaker Mariel Heller, is uh, who also is an actor. Uh, for those of you who know Mariel Heller's work, she directed Diary of a Teenage Girl and directed the, the Mr. Rogers movie, A uh, Beautiful Place in the Neighborhood. And, um, and I know her in passing, uh, we've, we've met a few times, but she's a very, very nice lady. We're, I follow her stuff on Instagram and all the other social platforms. She's a really good actor, too. Yeah, she's a good actor, yeah. And she's my friend, uh, Emily Heller's uh, older sister. Uh, shout out to my friend, Emily Heller. And uh, so I'm going to check it out. And uh, I know nothing about it, but it's got, it's got enough things that I'm, gonna, that I'm a fan of. I don't awesome. love Netflix model of how they, they, how they put stuff out, putting it all at once, because then I was like, then I can't leave the house. It was like, I like being able to <laughs> but, keep it going. But so I'm going to give the Queen's Gambit a, a sniff this weekend. Go ahead. They produce good, high quality stuff. And I was just going to say, George, you know, you can choose when you watch it right it's yeah, that, yeah, no, like, I, I think it, it's like it gives you because it's like you that it's like oh shit and i feel like if like that forrest gump was like well i've already gone this far i might as well just keep going and then it's like <laughs> no it'll give you like a timer are you still watching and you feel like such a shit bag because the answer is yes always yes yeah. but this is like, like netflix is judging me as, you've been sitting there for it might as well say you've been sitting there for seven yeah you're still watching this yeah, can we just agree right now across all media platforms and all streaming? Like, let's get rid of that. Like, we don't ever need that. Like, are you still watching? Like, if I'm not, I'll turn it off eventually. Like, yeah, TV shame. By yeah, don't like. But I'm not even paying for it. Hey, you, you fucking piece of shit. Have you moved in however many hours and cleaned up what you spilled? Fucking shit. <laughs> yeah meanwhile i'm like in between bong hits i'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yes i'm still watching <laughs> you're wearing uh, sweatpants you got a fucking meatball stand in your shirt <laughs> you're still watching this you fat bastard <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just my point i'm I'm, loser. I'm with i'm with you my point is just that like you know in theory like you could watch one a week if you want it but but i but i am i am with you I need to be told to not do that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I understand. The Queen's um, Gambit came out of the 23rd. Honor Taylor-Joy, Bill Camp, and uh, Mariel Heller was my friend's older sister. So what are you looking forward to? All right, cool. Well, uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to is this series that, of all places, ESPN just started this uh, series of articles, it's ESPN with 538, uh, you know, Nate Silver's site, and it's all about political donations from from sports franchise governors and owners. Track. It's like a really, it's like a going to be a multi-part series. They just released the first part of it. I haven't even got into it and read 
ready yet. I'm looking forward. Like, the picture is of the fucking Ricketts family on the front. And I'm like, ugh, I already know where their fucking money goes. But, you know, all that stuff we were talking about in the sports owners, like, there's, like... I say it's funny that ESPN is doing it because I've always kind of considered them... I've, you know, it's maybe somewhat flippantly, but said that they're, like, the Fox News of, of sports... Uh, sports broadcasting because it's all like you know because up until recently they really put the clamps on people from saying like anything politically or like making any kind of statements they really discouraged that they really you know we've seen them suspend people like jamil hill and and all sorts of people in the past so you know they're kind of jumping on board on the bandwagon now which you know is its own thing but it's but it's whatever they're doing a lot of people there are doing really good work and they're they're free to like say the things that probably they always kind of wanted to say and this uh i thought was a really interesting you know like i obviously you know how interested in this kind of stuff i am but you know just like the the sub headline of this first article is american professional sports owners have contributed nearly 47 million dollars in federal elections since 2015 so it's really interesting to know like who is giving what where and like you know it, it some of the things won't surprise you at all and some of the things will be like Ooh. and you know next time you want to you know spend dollars that you know are going to end up in some of these guys pockets some of these people's pockets maybe you know i'll think Personally, after reading this, I might think twice. So, yeah, that's something I'm looking forward to, to looking to. I'm always also looking forward into looking uh, into seeing how this NBA situation plays out. Like, uh, as far as the schedules and stuff they're talking about, what they're talking about. I don't know. If, I, ha I don't know all the details. I haven't gone too far into it yet, but I don't know. If, I don't know how. Uh, far you i know you watch a lot of that you keep a, a lot of that stuff but it seems really as far as i understand it, and then you can fill in the gaps but uh is that they're talking about having starting a new season for christmas essentially in in the last week of december and the draft is like two weeks before that in november and as far as i understand they're talking about having it like not be a bubble but it might be regional or something. I don't know. All everything I heard, I was kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I'm so happy that they were able to give us what they gave us with the bubble action, and it was awesome, and it seemed like it went off really well. But some of the things I've heard, as far as like people traveling from other town to town, and then possibly having fans, but I think they're gonna mostly gonna say no fans. But some of the things I was kind of like, I don't know, guys. Like you. You prove the good model. Why fuck with that? You know, I mean, I know why. It's because of money and they want to, like, do it as fast as possible and have the turnaround. But the only thing I have to do with it is money. The the, the issue that the NBA is, is going to have, like, problems with is, is the later they start, the means the later that they finish, the means they're going to be running up against football. Football, whatever it is, is like football is a day of the week. And the ratings that they had for the NBA is, as, as compelling as it was did not compare to what football does. So the moment that they had to compete with football and one up during the football season, they're going to get their ass kicked. It's just, just is how, how it's going to go. Another thing is NBA is a, is an experience that, that has to be live. And, and there's like, you know, a lot of these NBA owners, the amount of revenue that they miss out on not being live, doesn't matter what kind of TV deal is like the fact that you can't have live games is going to really fuck them over. So they're basically trying to start as soon as they possibly can. When they're trying to save that TV money. And I heard some people talking about it on, uh, I think, the NBC Sports, the Bulls podcast, which 
I those guys are great. Jason Goff and uh, Rob Schrader, Casey Johnson. But it's something like I might be misquoting this, but something like five hundred million dollars or something that they're in revenue that they're going to be able to save Correct. starting in December. Yeah. Uh, you know, even even uh, without fans, it's just yeah, just uh, on TV money. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of them is there. Granted, it's like there's there's some folks out there like the the Tillman Fertitta who's. But he's a dude who gets money that's tied into the entertainment industry. So he's got it. He's like, I have to have this because I'll be operating at a loss. So in essence, what they're trying to do is they're trying to set themselves up for the 2022 season. By starting in December, that, that allows them to sort of bring it back by 2022, starting in October, which is when they would normally start. Now, if you start a little bit later than that, that means that you're, you got, they still want to play the 72 games, which is what, like, so they don't miss out on the $500 million. But then you start running up against, against football. Something you don't want to do. So I would prefer that they waited, but I mean, I understand the money. I don't think they should start till like late January, possibly early, mid, middle of February. Because I think that just makes more sense. Yeah. And with free agency. But I mean, I'm also not, I don't own an NBA team. So I, don't I mean, yeah, well, it's crazy. And like we said, I mean, you know, also like every, we're setting new daily highs in cases of COVID. And, and also today they came out with the stat, uh, no state. There isn't a single state in the U.S. that is experiencing a decrease in cases. So, like, we're in it for the winter, guys. And, like, you know, so, so like, I I want the NBA to come back as soon as possible. And I want to be watching basketball. But whatever they have to do to make it be responsible and safe, you know what I mean? Because ultimately, like, it is about money. And anything that doesn't take into account the effect on people's lives and people's health is insidious, you know? So, so we have to think about it from that angle, but also just from like a logistics standpoint, like I said, like I, I totally want to watch NBA games in December, but the draft is two weeks before that. So you are talking about, especially if you are a team who's drafting like a top five pick or drafting someone who you're expecting to make an impact immediately or this season, like you are drafting them. First of all, these guys haven't played basketball for a year. They haven't fucking played college. They haven't played shit. They've been working out with whatever trainer they could get and whoever they could get pickup games with and whatever gym that they could get. You know, so so the condition that they're going to be in is anybody's guess. And they're going to get drafted. And then there's no rookie mini camp. There's no training camp. They start, there's no summer league. They start the season like two weeks later. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're LaMelo Balls and you're James Wiseman. We're going to have to give them, you know, a month, right? The one thing they have going for them is the fact that the draft this year is actually kind of weak. It's like a three, it's like a top three heavy. It's it's, it's like, it's like a top two, maybe. Edwards of Georgia, Wiseman from Memphis, who people haven't seen any tape on him in like, since fucking... Yeah, because he was hurt when they were playing. No, he uh he got the NCAA was like told him it was. Busy. Oh, he wasn't hurt. And he, and then he was like, he was like, they, they, he just was suspended for ten games, and he decided, and he was like, nah, nah, fuck this. Because uh, of like eligibility stuff, right? There's, there's some, there is, it's, it's dumb. Because of Penny Hardaway, yeah, yeah. And, yeah George's dude, alma mater, Memphis. Yeah, there you go. Shout out to Memphis. The dude at uh from Tel Aviv was supposed to be sick. Uh, he's a bulls target at four and uh, I've been watching a shit ton of tape on him and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm sipping the Kool-Aid, but part of me is like, I got, you know, visions of guys like we talked about before, like Darko Milicic and like Andrea Bargnani and stuff in my head. So I'm not ready to anoint him. And it's like, you know, the guys who play overseas, it's like, we don't really know how they're going to play in India. 
uh, you know, like Luca, I thought he was going to be incredible. Honestly, I did. I thought he was going to be the best player in that draft, but we had no fucking idea. We had no idea he was 19. And like even the, the NBA pros and whatever they want to say, they had no idea. You know what I mean? And Trey Young, I mean, yes, they had an idea, but like, you know what I'm but 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 you know what I'm saying? But but Darko Milicic and Andrea Bargnani were top five picks that people expected them to do great things too. You know what I mean? And it's just like my point is, like I said, you don't really know until they get here and they start playing this game because Luca, like I said, you know, even even me who I'm not an expert, I'm not, I'm just some asshole asshole with a podcast, but like. I thought that he was, you could see it, but, you know, so when I watched the kid, the Denny kid, like, yeah, he makes me salivate, but then I'm like, oof, is it, could we get him, and then he's the fucking Nikola Mirotic 2.0, and we're fucking furious. There, there is, there is a, uh, there is a whole thing, it was like, I, I'm looking forward to the draft just to see, like, the, the, the trades and the kind of movement. Because I think some people are too scared to, to draft like who they really want. So what I'm thinking is like they may want to move down Minnesota and Golden State may want to move down. I was like, hey, you fucked us up because we're not because like yeah because we'll take a draft pick and one of the dude to move so you can move up. So totally. don't be surprised if you see like the number four pick or the number three pick move up to number one. Think it's like oh so. Well, we are the Bulls are sitting in a very interesting position because they are number four. Where yeah. I could see them packaging the pick and the player to move up a pick and a player. Excuse me. Uh, specifically, somebody like honestly Zach Levine to move up into the top three, but I could also see them packaging that pick and like some other ancillary type players to move down for yeah. multiple picks because it's a new regime. And I think either way, I think there's value to be had either way. You know? Yeah. You know? No. I've, I've I've always been like it's like it's better to have like more. It's like it's like a lot. It's like basically more picks. Like yeah. More you want more so there, picks. There, there's a there's a whole theory that nine through fifteen is supposed to be really really good. Like there's this Halliburton kid that's supposed to be badass. Well, that's he's another one who's in consideration for the Bulls if they drop down. They're, they're saying that that dude's sick. And I was gonna say, well, but this is a draft because there's no clear consensus. Even you know, even that you mentioned Edwards and Wiseman, like those guys are thought of in the top two or three, but there's no consensus. And Lamelo Ball, like. Some people think LaMelo Ball is the number one guy in the fucking draft, and some people think he's a 25th guy. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I'm not a big ball fan, but I think it has something to do with the father's brother. He's picked up some bad habits, which I don't enjoy. I agree, uh, but I could see – I honestly believe – I think he's – like I think he's either going to be a complete bum and out of the league in three years, or he might be a legit star or might be a legit yeah. franchise player because his vision is off the charts. And like he – like he does some things that bother me too, but he's got it, dude. Like the guy yeah. can play basketball, and also like he's been playing overseas against adults for a year. So uh, to the Luca thing, like I think that really gives you a leg up that like college kids don't have. Yes, because like it gives you the opportunity to sort of like be an adult. That means travel. That means like like stay in, a, in your own room and then get yourself something to eat, which you, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but for a college student, it's like this is where you go for that. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Like you have your, you have a per diem. Is yeah, you have thing? to learn how to live in the world and like have money and be a professional. Right. And they don't necessarily in, in teach you that in college. They don't teach exactly. you that in so AAU. But yeah, but even the physical rigors of playing a forty-minute basketball game against 
25-year-old grown men or 30-year-old fucking men who chain smoke cigarettes. You know what I mean? It was like fucking bruiser fucking Eastern European dudes that will that will go to work. Knock you the fuck out. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a draft. I think it's basically 9 through 15 anyway. There's because there's a kid from Bandy that's supposed to be really good. There's uh, Obi Toppin who, who, is, who is really, really good. Who was saying it's probably like 7th or 8th or 9th, something like that. Yeah. And you've also got like Halliburton who's supposed to be badass. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, no, it's going to be an interesting, interesting draft. I, 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 as much as I love Wiseman, I don't know how good he could be because he could be incredible or he could be Jeff Green. So yeah, I agree. But I would love to see, like, I want to see the Warriors take him <laughs> because, like, I want to see him on the Warriors, like a seven foot dude who can shoot and move with. with I, that's where I would like to see him. Steph get and Clay and Draymond Green, like. That, that's so. That's so. First off, it's away from home. It's on the, the West Coast, and he sees a. He's a very very smart guy. He speaks like two or three languages or something like that. The fact that like it's like it's more about the basketball people around and less about fit. And I think he fits, but the basketball people around with, with the IQs of the, the three stars that they have and their head coach. He could be a star, star, star very, very soon. So yeah. I'd like to see him go to Golden State. But there's, yeah. I, think, I think he's going to Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? It's going to be exciting because, like we said, there, there are not a lot of consensuses. So that could lead to a lot of dealing and a lot of like interesting picks and moves. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. won't be live and in person, so you won't hear the Knicks fans boo whoever the choice is because <laughs> they'll do it like, regardless <laughs> suits, the awful suit choice so like uh there's some there i don't the, the, the bad suits haven't been a while but uh my favorite year i think it was 2017 where everybody was wearing cobalt blue Ooh, such a great color for a suit cobalt blue they look like characters from mad men <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some all-time i mean like joking no i mean yeah we don't need to good yeah. Th- yeah i'm glad we won't be seeing we don't need to see those suits although there's some dope ones too some dope ones too. Shout out to uh, Wendell Carter Jr. a couple of years ago, who like just wore a dope ass black suit with like like a Black Panther like Gucci scarf and shit. Like <laughs> it was dope. <laughs> was, I forget who it was. He's like, shut up in the, the. I think it was 2017. Shut up in the cobalt blue. And everybody was like, this is that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like Tyler here. What did you did you send me like? Tyler Hero suit, like somebody being like, that dude definitely has a black best friend or some shit like that. There was like, I saw an interview with him and he said he didn't know how to swim. And Jimmy Butler was like, dude, you got some good tennessees, don't you? Like, <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that one, but that's funny. Good tennessees, don't you? He's like, he's like, he's like, I don't know how to swim. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah, which I thought was. <laughs> Yeah, that's and you got hood tendencies, is what he said. That's fucking yeah. Like I said, I'm not touching that, but it's hysterical. All right, well, uh, yeah, I think that's gonna do it. That's it for another week of know your roles. Look out for us. We're gonna be planning some stuff. Like I said last week, getting getting that that internet presence shit together, um, as they say. Uh, website coming soon. More stuff. Please follow us on Instagram. Know your roles pod. Rate and review. Subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on Spotify. Tell your friends. You know, we're trying to set ourselves up for the end of 2020 to take this shit over. So help us do that. By this, I mean, like, the podcasting game or whatever. But (laughs) Uh, the making comparisons game. But, uh, yeah, I hope today was a fun show. Like I said in Bar Talks, the last time we're going to be talking before the election. Everyone be well. 
and uh yeah let's do this let's let's get this motherfucker out we're gonna be doing a show next week we're not exactly sure when that what exactly that's gonna drop we're kind of gonna feel out the election and see what happens like i said i think we should all be prepared not to have like definitive results on that first night you know so we kind of want to let the dust settle for a couple of days before getting back with y'all to just just to know what what we want to talk about what we got to talk about so yeah, like I said, let's hope, let's uh, let's mobilize. We already, already, everybody should feel good. I don't know if you've seen this, but the numbers already for turnout of early voting and mail-in voting is fucking astronomical and already setting all type records. More people, I think, don't quote me on this 100%, but I'm pretty sure I heard the other day that more people have already voted early than the and all the people that fucking voted for this asshole last time in 2016. So, like, more people have already voted, you know, depending on who they voted for, but, like, more people have already voted early than voted for him last time. So, it's, you know, we have to remember that, like, we are the majority. We are the fucking majority of people in this country. People who actually want equality and freedom for everyone. So, yeah, let's get this shit done. And, uh, yeah. America. <laughs> Doing it again. The way I sign off every week is, uh, aside from make sure the vote, wear your fucking mask over your nose. I'm talking to you, Justin Turner. Come on now. Get your head out of your ass. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right. On that note, everybody stay safe and healthy. And uh, we'll be back with y'all soon in the uh, early part of November. Be well. We're out. That was great. You know the